the prayer for illumination. Guiding God, send your Holy Spirit upon the reading of your word, that it may serve to show us the path of life and lead us into your presence, where there is fullness of joy. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, uh, verses 22 through 31. And this takes place during uh, Paul's second missionary journey. He's in Athens, Greece, and he had been preaching in the marketplace when some local philosophers invited him to speak at the Areopagus, which is a hill in Athens where people gathered to learn, and that's where this passage begins. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him though indeed he is not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man who he appointed, and this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Thanks be to God. The book of 1 Peter provides the lectionary reading for our second reading today. Now, 1 Peter is particularly important because it turns our attention to uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a letter that was written to those believers that were dispersed uh, throughout the ancient world. It probably written around A.D. 60 or 65. And most of the book deals with how to live with courage and hope in a world of which over which we have no or little control. It's how to live with integrity within our families and the larger structures of society. Listen now as I read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his great mercy. He has given us a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, 
who are being protected by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice even now for a little while. You had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith be more precious than gold that through perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with indescribable glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the verse I want us to key into this morning for the sermon is, By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let us pray. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved. We can do that again. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, by which we are saved. Thank you. I remember the first time I attended the reading of a will. I was nine years old. It was 1956. My mom's Uncle John, who was a Missouri bachelor farmer, lived a life of a hermit on a small farm about a mile off the gravel road which went by our church. Well, John died, and for years he had been saving, literally squirreling away all of his money. Of course, nobody knew that until he died. You see, he was one of those folks who lived through the Depression, and he did not, I mean he did not, trust banks. But strangely enough, he must have talked to an attorney because he had a will that was found in the house. The thing that was most interesting was that when they began to search the house, they found money in cupboards, under the floor, in the barn, buried in the yard. I think the amount was $50,000. In 1956, $50,000 was a lot of money. Well, it came time for the reading of the will, and there were relatives from all over. There were first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, fourth cousins, fifth cousins. As it turned out, you know, as it turned out, not everybody got along with each other. Can you imagine that? <laughs> My cousin and I, when we were on in, in a neighboring room, and we were surprised to hear all the murmuring and the many caucuses that were taking place with the various branches of the family. The problem, of course, was some people were included and others were left out. So, so some expressed the opinion that those who were included in the will should share their windfall with those who were left out. I was too young to understand the dynamics of all those relationships. I don't really remember how it all turned out what her feelings lingered and festered. But what I do remember, this is what really impressed me as a nine-year-old. The most exciting and most memorable part of that was we got our first TV. <laughs> and that was a big deal, my friends. Which brings us to the First Peter, our text for today's sermon. Now, the book of 1 Peter was written to a group of believers 
who were going through the most difficult time of their lives. They had been scattered, displaced from their homes and are being persecuted for their faith. But they hold on to each other. And they hold on to their faith as they gather in the same way we're gathered here this morning. Like us, they're post-resurrection people wanting to live a life taught them by Jesus Christ. But also they wanted to live, they were living in a world that was mistreating them. And they were understandably discouraged. The author of 1 Peter knows all that. And he writes a letter of encouragement to, to remind them of their inheritance. It too is a reading of the will, the legacy of Christ's presence in their lives. And who are all these people? Well, if we were to read the whole entire letter of Peter, we would find out that it included a lot of people who were being left out. Women, who at the time were never mentioned in anybody's will. Slaves, who had no legal rights. And then there were the exiles and the aliens, people viewed as non-persons, no names, because they had no way of tracing them. They were non-entities. As a matter of fact, that's how most Christians were received in those days. We're talking about people who seldom have ever heard their names called. But here they are in the church. And what do they hear? What do they hear? These slaves, women, strangers, exiles, people who felt like they were invisible. What did they hear? They heard the good news for them and even for us today, they heard that there is a place in God's house for everybody. That everybody has a name. And that God knows us and loves us. The Spirit is always with us. What these people heard and what they, what they found out that they were beloved children of God. And that each one had an inheritance. Which... My friends, is imperishable and unchangeable. That is the good news of Easter. You see, we have this inheritance from God that is for everyone. None are excluded. And this inheritance cannot be revoked, can't be altered by competing factions, and can't be negotiated by attorneys. Our inheritance with God remains steadfast. So what, what do we do with this inheritance? Now I wish I could give you a one, two, three, easy to remember list that would make it simple to follow, but I think the answer comes in the daily process of living and listening for God. For this week, reason, this week, I don't know what happened, but I kept hearing uh, the response to the words of forgiveness over and over again in my head. I was singing it in my head when I was waking up at night half asleep. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now, if Joel were here, he would sing that to you. But <laughs> Joel's not here. And when I sat down, when I sat down, when I sat down to work on this sermon, I realized that this is what First Peter was talking about in verse 3 of our text this morning. By Christ's great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a living hope. And that's our inheritance. To be lived out every day. 
no matter how difficult yesterday was, no matter that we lost our temper, no matter that how broken our world is, in Christ's great mercy, we get up each morning a new person, a new day, living the hope given to us through Jesus. New possibilities are all around us, through us, because that's our inheritance, remember? That is how God has given us this great grace and peace. I spent my professional life visiting hospitals, offering prayers before and after surgery, listening to stories of others facing those who are facing health issues. So I wasn't prepared for the humbling experience of facing my own mortality my first time as a patient when I needed bypass surgery almost to this day, 16 years ago. After surgery, I, I needed help with everything. I, I was sure that my life and well-being depended on other people. It did. The overwhelming gratitude I felt from the support and prayers from my church family literally moved me to tears because I knew God's grace in a new way. Tuesday evening, Janice and I met with your deacons to talk about the ways we care about each other here at Covenant. You, you, all, you all have so many stories about ways you've been strengthened as a church by the caring fabric that is a part of this family. That's because it's a part of the inheritance, right? And we don't just reserve our caring for people inside our, these walls. The Sunday morning class, adult class, has introduced us to the mission co-workers that this church supports with prayers and financial resources. Last Sunday, we met with Elmarie Parker, who has worked with her husband, Scott, in Lebanon for over 10 years. Just one of the ways that you are sharing your inheritance of faith through the program developed to help refugee children who have been traumatized by war in Syria. Through a program built around play, they're learning to express their emotions in appropriate, healthy ways. They're finding healing. This is what living hope looks like. This is the treasure we share. And what is, what good is an inheritance if it's not shared? There's not a day we don't experience the news of turmoil, anger, violence, war, hatred that exists all around us. It will shut us down until we live cocooned, insulated lives. But what, what can save us is Christ's living hope. Now, it's not a hope I will win the lottery. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. It's sure, it's not a hope that we have that Ohio State will win the championship this year. Not a hope because spring is everything is beginning to bloom and as wonderful as it is. No, this is the kind of hope that changes things. There's a quote by Martin Luther, and I'm sure many of you have seen it. It's posted at the zoo. It says, nothing changes without hope. Living hope is that kind of hope. It changes things. I think of the women I've heard from Frida Malacart. These are women who have been sucked into and scarred by human trafficking. When, we, when you hear those stories, you're hearing about the power of hope and the change and the freedom it has brought to their lives. 
This is a hope that appears in most in the most difficult places until they find their way to light. I read a story of a young pastor who was preaching in Louisiana in the Great Depression in the 1930s. At that time, electricity was just coming in that part of the country. It was out in a rural church and it had only one light bulb hanging in the ceiling in the middle of the sanctuary. And one night, the preacher, he was preaching away and right in the middle of the sermon, the electricity went out. The building went completely dark without any light. And being a young preacher, he didn't know what to say, and he just stood there until one person sitting in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, life is extremely difficult, and gloom is all around us. The good news is we can still see Jesus. That's the good news. We remember that we have an inheritance of living hope. Two weeks ago, we joined in special act of sharing our inheritance as we baptized little Emmett. Baptism is always a celebration of our inheritance, of the gift of life and the gift that God has created us and the Christ who saves us over and over again. This is our inheritance. Janice and I are grateful that we have found our way to this family of faith to share our ups and downs with you and to know you care and to share with you as we collectively reach our arms out to welcome others. This is our living hope. This is the indescribable joy and the inheritance that we share. We celebrate this inheritance and the Easter promise that will never fade away. It is imperishable. You see, we know this because we've read the will. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.